And hello from Boise, Idaho, and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And it may not look like it when you look outside, but it is spring. It is uh, late <laughs> April, and what that means inside the schools is that it's test season. It's SBAC season. Clark, you took a, an in-depth look at what's going on in the schools as we are in year three of the SBAC Walk us through what you're hearing. Yeah, we're about halfway into the state's uh, SBAC testing window. The SBAC, sometimes you hear it called the ISAP by Smarter Balanced. Uh, it's named for the Smarter Balanced Assessment Consortium that oversees and created the test. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it's been a controversial test uh, throughout its history in Idaho. And um, I, I had a chance to talk with people from about four or five different school districts. And generally speaking, uh, it seemed like the testing experience itself was going uh, smoother this year, certainly than it had uh, in the first two years uh, of the testing uh, experience. It, it's an online test. Most of the test is an online test uh, that students take on Chromebooks or computer labs. And so there were no widespread system outages that were reported to the state or in the school districts I talked to. Uh, the technical glitches uh, were minor. Uh, so the testing experience has gone smoother. It seems like students are more used to it. Teachers are more used to it. The exam proctors uh, are used to it. And so folks are happy about that. But many of the concerns uh, that administrators and families have had for years are still there. And so the biggest concern I guess is the length of time mm -hmm. uh, that it takes to complete this test. There's two different sections, a math and an English language arts section. And a lot of the school districts I talked to um, said the English section in particular had these long reading passages. Right. And it was mm -hmm. taking students longer than the state estimate and longer than four hours uh, to complete this test and then throw in another... Uh, three hours for the math component of the test. That's a school day. Yeah. It isn't done in all one sure. day, but that Multiply is that day. by any number of, of classes and, and students. Um, and, yeah, it's taking a lot of resources. I talked to Jeff Thomas, the superintendent in Madison County, who's long been a vocal critic of the SBAC test, and he says, look, uh, basically it means uh, that the general student population cannot use computer labs uh, and libraries for a whole month at the end of the school year while we're uh, conducting these tests. And in Madison, about 53% of the students at the high school have opted out of testing. I think that's probably going to be the highest of any of the larger districts across the state. Um, it was certainly the highest on the districts I checked on, but I haven't checked on everybody. And the opt-out numbers, to remind people, that becomes important and it becomes significant if there's widespread opt-outs going on statewide. Because states have to ensure that 95% of their, their students are taking some form of a standardized test, Idaho's being the, the, the SBAC. That's exactly right. Federal education uh, rules and requirements state that uh, in Idaho and other states, 95% of kids must take the test. I talked to uh, a couple people at the State Department of Education, Carlin Laraway, uh, the assessment coordinator there, and she wasn't really concerned about making the 95% requirement. But again, uh, the opt-outs happen at the local level, so she wasn't mm -hmm. even necessarily aware uh, of how many people had opted out 
uh, in Madison County. But the other um, districts you contacted had pretty low opt-out numbers. Yeah, Caldwell, I think they told me they had basically none at all. Blaine County had two. Uh, Boise had 20 students out of thousands and thousands. Right. Very uh, low numbers. Second largest school district in the state. So it, it seems like it, it was a big issue in, in Madison County where the superintendent has taken the lead and being a vocal critic. Uh, he said that they do allow uh, families to opt students out Kind of no questions asked as long as they come to the office and, and fill out the form. And the students are given an alternative assignment or a research project, mm-hmm. but not another uh, test in the case of Madison County. I also talked to Boise Superintendent Don Cobley, said it's gone smoother this year, but he doesn't think that the state gets enough to justify the cost and the time commitment for the SBAC test. In terms it, of useful data. In terms of useful data, data that that comes back. Uh, and so that's a point of contention for him. He feels like with the uh, SAT test, which the state pays uh, for high school students to take, uh, that they do get actionable, useful data back. But he said it's not the same with the SBAC. That coupled with the cost of the test, I think it's around $26 a student, uh, and the time it takes to administer the test, especially in a lar- large district like Boise, um, he said it's not worth it. And he would encourage the legislature uh, to scrap the SBAC and find a, a, a different test. But I talked to folks in Caldwell and Blaine County who are really happy with the test, who said it's going much better this year, the kids are embracing it, they're hoping for uh, an increase in test scores. And so uh, there were some districts I definitely want to point out They've had a positive experience and had very few complaints uh, when I interviewed them this week. And for parents out there, you should check the story and, and click on the links to, to the story at idahoednews.org because uh, you will get some information about how to interpret uh, right. how to interpret these SBAC results and how to how to figure out what it means for how, how your child did on this test. Yeah, the state's built a new website, uh, kind of a test score guide. It's kind of I went in and. and you know, I, I don't have a, a, a child myself. I didn't take the test, but I went in and kind of uh, cooked up a hypothetical where I entered a grade level and a test score uh, and, uh, and and got a report. And it was kind of interesting. And if you have the actual score yourself, uh, that would be even more useful. So if you mm-hmm. check our story at Idaho Ed News, there's a link uh, to that uh, website. And also little kind of case studies in about four different school districts to find out you know, how far are they into the testing? What's the experience been this year? What advice would they give to the state? So uh, that's something certainly you can check out at uh, IdahoEdNews.org. And I wanted, Ken, I wanted to ask you about some of the projects that you were working on uh, this week. You're looking into uh, average daily attendance and some shifts there. But t- tell me about the numbers that you're seeing and, and the project that you've been working on this week. Yeah, what I wanted to do this week is uh, do a story that looked at what's happening in terms of uh, student numbers and how that affects uh, funding uh, down to the district level because this is a year-to-year thing. Average daily attendance is the calculation that is used to determine how much state money goes to a school district or a charter school. And it is you know, literally what it sounds like. You take, yeah. you, you take account and you run the average of how many, how many kids you got walking through the door uh, on you know, your typical day. These numbers tend to fluctuate, and some of the fluctuations are pretty large, especially when you get into a smaller district. You can have some some fairly significant shifts uh, in terms of percentages, in terms of raw numbers. What I found interesting as I as I dug into it is, yeah, sometimes the differences can be attributed to to you know just one 
one year's change in grade levels. Uh, wound up talking to Idaho Falls, and their decrease uh, translates to about 100 students in terms of ADA, and almost all of that can be attributed to a decrease in kindergarten enrollment. And this all goes back to the recession. <laughs> if you can, yeah, it, it goes back to the Great Recession. It goes back to the downturn because basically families were uh, having second thoughts about uh, having a kid or having another kid, you know, starting a family or you know, having another child. Yeah, makes sense. Right. So you so that now flash forward affects the numbers of kindergartners who are coming in in 2016, 2017. And for Idaho Falls, it affects them even more next year because those kindergartners become first graders, they become full-time students, all-day students, and that has more of an impact because of the funding formula. Basically, a don't take this wrong if you're the parent of a kindergartner, they're all very, you know, they're wonderful kids, but a full-time, full-day, first-grade student is worth more in terms of funding than a, a half-day kindergarten the, student. Just because of the formula. Just because of the formula, yeah. and we kind of delve into that. Idaho Falls kind of jumped out at me and, and sort of became the illustration that I used in the story, but looked at other districts from, from Nampa to, to Camas County to a couple of the charter schools, and sometimes it is just a, a low low number in one grade level as opposed to a high number of graduating seniors or a low number of incoming students in one grade. So these fluctuations, they're, they're interesting and they're not trivial for the school districts because we are talking about money. We're, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. In Nampa's case, a $2 million reduction in state funding because of a, a decrease in average daily attendance. So this is a big deal. And what I just tried to do with this story is take a, a closer look at what's going on in a few districts, what drives these changes, and what the impacts of those changes uh, turn out to be. It's a cool report, and, and it's interesting. And we're going to keep talking about uh, ADA and uh, it's relevant because certainly uh, for another reason, we have the School Funding Interim Committee getting back to work possibly next month. Are they going to continue to use average daily attendance as a funding model or are they going to move on to something you know, else? A lot of talk about an enrollment-based model and, and shifting in that direction, but that, uh, that could come with a cost. I mean, to make it work and to make everybody kind of whole in all of that, uh, that could have a, an impact on the budget. So there's a lot to be determined about how this funding formula is going to work out. But at least for this year, what, we're, what we tried yep. to look at is what happened with ADA and how does that uh, affect schools on the ground uh, across the state. It's a fascinating look at the stuff and, and really putting two different things together, the recession and, and, and birth rates and students entering kindergarten and how that can translate into uh, real dollars for a school district. It's kind of an interesting piece. If you want to learn more about how schools are funded in the state or how uh, things of this nature can affect the money uh, to your local school district, I'd encourage you to head over to Idaho Education News and check out that report. On another topic, you spent some time this week looking at kind of the on-the-ground impact of a program that we've written a lot about from the State House, the STEM Action Center. Uh, you were looking at uh, a program that's going uh, going online up north. Why don't you walk us through that? Yeah, this was kind of a follow-up to some of the reporting you had done during the session, Kevin, about the increase in funding for the STEM Action Center, which is now uh, a couple of years old, and it's sort of uh, Idaho's uh, state government uh, clearinghouse for all things mm -hmm. related to science, technology, engineering, and math. That's where the STEM acronym comes from. 
but we're talking about a new partnership forming between the STEM Action Center and the University of Idaho, specifically with the goal of launching computer science programs uh, in the fall. Uh, it's kind of cool. I, I, I talked to Representative Paul Amador, and this kind of affects his job as a legislator and uh, he works at uh, the University of Idaho mm -hmm. as a right. program director, and so he's kind of helped on both ends of this program. But what we're seeing is the University of Idaho and the STEM Action Center are partnering up to do some teacher prof professional development over the summer at three different uh, University of Idaho locations, I believe Boise, uh, Idaho Falls, and then up north to provide professional development training so that teachers could be certified to offer a dual credit computer science course uh, in the fall. And the way this was explained to me is this is brand new, that there's essentially one teacher in the state who is certified uh, to offer a computer science course, and it's up in Sandpoint. And so the goal with this partnership is to provide funding to train these teachers, to give them a $300 stipend for when they attend the training. And then the idea being that they could turn around and teach uh, a dual credit course through the University of Idaho, both at their local school district in the fall and by bringing in the Idaho Digital Learning Academy, uh, the online component, to reach even more students in rural school districts that would not necessarily have a local teacher certified to do a new computer science course. The idea would be that it would reach even more students by offering it online uh, through IDLA that way. Uh, it's kind of just beginning, but there is an opportunity for teachers who are interested to enroll in the training by May 1st. Uh, the training will take place over the summer. And then by fall, um, we'll follow up and, and see just how many computer science courses are offered and how widespread they are through IDLA. But it's kind of a new partnership uh, between IDLA, University of Idaho, STEM Action Center uh, to go in a new direction, uh, to offer a new computer science uh, programming course that would count as a dual credit, so it would count uh, ideally as a high school math credit and uh, as a uh, college credit through University of Idaho if, if students go on and to graduation. And it ripples well beyond Sandpoint because you, you've got to have other districts around the state, especially smaller districts that are struggling to provide computer science uh, programs for, for kids. That, that, sure, that's exactly where the idea is coming in, to train more teachers, to get them certified in the class, and then to uh, turn around and offer those classes theoretically to anybody in the state through the IDLA so that it doesn't matter uh, if, if it's offered locally in your school district. If not, the idea would be you could go sign up and take the course through IDLA. Uh, so if you want to find out a little bit about how the partnership is coming together, you can check out that story and we will follow it up as we get closer to the fall and have a little bit more info about the specific course offerings. Uh, so that's out there. Kevin, one more thing I wanted to cover this week. You had a chance to look at a new executive order uh, signed by President Trump that involves his Education Secretary Betsy DeVos and a little bit of a mm -hmm. homework assignment uh, for her. And, and then from there you went out and looked at some other uh, federal issues affecting the state of Idaho. But tell me about the new executive order from President Trump. Right. This order came out on Wednesday and, and not with a lot of there was not a lot of lead time or advance word about it, but uh, basically what uh, the gist of the executive order is, um, uh, President Trump is ordering, uh, assigning, directing uh, Betsy DeVos to, to do a, a study of federal education policy to look at whether federal education policy uh, oversteps uh, you know, the Fed's bounds in, in education topics. And 
If this all kind of sounds familiar, it, it's a recurring theme from the White House and a recurring discussion point between the White House and, and other education groups. What is the role of the federal government and is the federal role excessive and, and is there uh, the exact wording from the Department of Education is, uh, yeah, it, has, the, has the federal government overstepped to the point of imposing or, or pushing for a, a national curriculum? Now, now this becomes a, a really, you know, it, it becomes a, a very contentious point because uh, a lot yeah, of education folks say, right, <laughs> say that this is, this is a fallacy that there is such a thing as a national curriculum, and it's even more of a fallacy now with the new Every Student Succeeds Act, which, which makes it impossible for the federal government to impose a national curriculum right. or to impose changes in curriculum on the states. This is a, the whole debate about uh, is Common Core a federal program and is Common Core a federal program, in quotes, that... Uh, Trump and DeVos can can rescind or get rid of. Well, not exactly, because uh, the Common Core standards were adopted at the state adopt, level. Adopted at the state level in states uh, such as Idaho. So this becomes kind of the next uh, volley in the debate over the, the federal government's role in education, as opposed to the state's role in education, and this contention from the White House that the feds have simply gone too far. And I found it all kind of interesting because I also had a chance uh, over the weekend to sit down and talk to Lily Escalin Garcia. She is the president of the National Education Association, the parent group of the Idaho Education Association. The teachers' union. The teachers' union. And she was in town uh, on Saturday to address IEA members. And I had a chance to sit down and talk to her. It was a good chance to, to talk to a national figure about the, the shifting sands of uh, federal education policy. And... It was a really interesting interview because there are kind of two sides to the coin as far as she sees federal policy. She's really excited still about ESSA, about the Every Student Succeeds Act, because she believes that it really is moving the states into a position where they have primacy over education policy. And she is really preaching to uh, state organizations like IEA and to individual teachers. You have a lot more control right now. You have a lot more power. Uh, you need to seize the power. The the uh, exact words that she used, kind of tongue-in-cheek, were proceed until apprehended. I mean, she's basically saying, look, you have the ability to do a lot more uh, than maybe you, you thought you could do in the first place, and maybe more than you thought you could do during the No Child Left Behind era. So her words are basically, go out there and do it. You know, you know, you know take more control at the state and local level. That said, she is very concerned about the budget proposal that's come from, from Trump and, and DeVos and the push towards adding money into choice programs, school choice programs, uh, charters and vouchers at the expense of programs like, like Title II, which provides teacher training and helps districts reduce class size at the expense of programs such as after-school programs, uh, Pell Grants for college students, programs that she's she says are really important to help disadvantaged students, at-risk students, and those would be funded if uh, Trump and DeVos had their way. Um, those would be cut to, to finance uh, choice programs. So while she is very enthusiastic and still very optimistic about ESSA, even with a new administration, she's very concerned about the budget. So it's an interesting interview. I, I found it interesting, uh, very engaging uh, interview. 
uh, you can see what you had to say. Uh, go to idolatenews.org and, and read my write-up of our interview. Okay, Kevin, thanks for that. I think that that catches us up uh, on all the week's headlines. As always, want to thank everybody for listening to the Extra Credit Podcast. We have a lot of fun doing this and hope you guys enjoy listening to it. Uh, we'll be back next Friday with another brand new episode of Extra Credit. In the interim, you can follow us on Twitter at Idaho Ed News and check out IdahoEdNews.org during the week for all of our latest stories. But anyways, thanks so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.